Welcome to Conversations for the Animals with Houston Pet Set. I am Lisa Tynan, and I am joined today by my colleague, Mindy Guthrie. Uh, Mindy is a font of knowledge about fundraising and the nonprofit world, uh, and we are lucky to have her as our chief development officer at Houston Pet Set. Um, we started not that far apart from one another when we started at Houston Pet Set, so we've been learning about this organization together, but you come from a really varied background of of development and fundraising. And we have a lot of animal welfare groups who watch and listen to this podcast. So I'm hoping that our listeners today can learn just one or two things or even more about how they can better advocate for their organization and get the funds that enable them to run day to day. So Mm -hmm. that's the high level conversation but before we get into that i want i want you to talk about you who you are what you where you've worked and what you've done and then also you know we know you have a a sweet old guy named oliver so tell us a little bit about him start with oliver Okay, let's, let's start, let's with, start with the fun part yes. first. Um, I adopted Oliver over 16 years ago from a local Crazy. animal welfare group. Um, I actually wound up getting him in January. It was almost impossible to adopt a puppy in December with all of the dogs that get yep. you know adopted for Christmas. And I told myself that maybe the best thing for me was to get one of those holiday returns. Um, <laughs> and he may have been one of those holiday returns, but Aww. just saw him in the cage and just made an instant connection. And we've been together for 16 years. And um, he's a big dog. He's not, we're not talking like a little palm who's 16. He's no. like a labby guy, right? He's or- well, he was billed as a puppy as being oh. a lab mix, but um, did the DNA testing, whether you trust those or not, <laughs> came back as Weimaraner, Rottweiler, Chow, and Dane. So apparently if you mix all of those together, you get a labby looking dog. Who lives to be 16, which is amazing. Yeah. He's such a cute little guy. Um, okay, so now that we've gotten the fun part out of the way. Let's talk about work. I mean, where where have you what type of fundraising and development have you done? Because this is your first foray into animal welfare, right? This is my first foray into animal welfare. And I started off um, actually at American Heart Association. I got out of graduate school um, and decided that through an internship uh, opportunity that I really liked fundraising because I loved being able to connect people with something that they're passionate about. And so got myself into American Heart Association, started at the bottom. (laughs) Um, So really learned development all the way up from, you know, understanding letters and database and all of that kind of stuff. And since that time, um, also worked at Houston Grand Opera. Um, and then uh, went on to higher education and have worked at UT Health, Rice University, and South Texas College of Law. Some big hitters. So it's been very interesting to see everything from sort of a grassroots, which is American Heart Association, mm-hmm. all the way up to something that is very specialized around opera, um, because that art farm is not everybody's cup of tea. Right. And then all the way into education and to see what what kind of money Um, can really help do scholarships and drive forward research. Right. So, you know, when we when we look at animal welfare and when we look at uh, we'll speak specifically to, you know, here in in the Houston region, we see. Well, I'll say I see because I spend so much time on our Facebook page. So many pleas for money 
And it always just feels like there's just not enough money in animal welfare. And I know that our partners and our rescue groups, you know, we are a granting organization. That's Mm -hmm. part of what we do is ensure that our partners can, you know, pay the bills or or help their the creatures that they're trying to help. But it just sort of feels like and since you've worked outside of animal welfare, the funds don't pour in for animal welfare, maybe at the same rate that they're pouring in for you know, medical issues for children, for for other passions that people have. Is that mm-hmm. something that you have seen that, you know, are we are we sort of low on the list of industries for fundraising? Um, I wouldn't say we're low on the list because actually in the Giving USA studies, we have seen that animal and they lump that in with environment has started to gain increase of the okay. market share in giving. That being said, it doesn't cover enough, no. as we know. <laughs> um, so the the real piece of that is making sure that you're talking to the people that want to hear your message. Um, so many people have pets and care about animals, but you know you've got big institutions like their alma mater yeah. who are you know arranging for happy hours and everything else to keep them engaged. Right. And it's very easy in those spaces, and especially the the arts that. There's a place for people to go mm-hmm. and experience it. And oftentimes in animal welfare, they're not going out in the street. Right. They're not really getting that tug and seeing what it's about. So there's there's a little bit of a distance that can be there for a donor. Okay. They can see the story, but they don't necessarily, it, it's not impacting them as if they are in the field with Right. People. And and we know just from experience that a lot of times the people who have the resources to make those large gifts are living in areas where they don't experience the problem at mm-hmm. all. So it's it's like almost geographically an issue where they are living in a, a happy bubble of no animal abandonment and no stray animals. And the people who need the funds or who are doing the work are in it in the trenches, exactly. seeing it every single day um, and giving every last penny that they have, but maybe not able to make as big an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously we can talk about like benefits and pitfalls of Facebook fundraisers. I know that we have we have mixed feelings because they can be really productive or they can get sort of lost in the shuffle. Where do you come down on using social media fundraisers like that, specifically the ones that are like built in to the platform, like Facebook fundraisers and Instagram? Right. Um, I think they can be very useful as long as you're using them strategically. Okay. Um, So not just scattershot. Not just scattershot or, you know, it's Thursday and it's on my to-do list, so I need to do a post just for the sake of getting out there. Um, It's really being it's really honoring your message okay. and what you're trying to say, because I don't know about you, but I've been on social media and have you know, followed groups and it's the same thing kind mm-hmm. of again and again and again. I'm not learning anything new. I'm not seeing anything different. Right. And that's what I want. I mean, okay. maybe a post, educate another one. Here's something we're dealing with so that it keeps me interested. Mm-hmm. I mean, like... Um, I don't I don't know if this is a great analogy, but like any good uh, TV show that goes viral. Right. Yeah. That there is something that is engaging, that is that is keeping the thread moving through what you do. Right. So but you're telling it through the through the through different lenses. Okay. So that to me is something of, you know, honoring your story and making sure that you're not 
you know, just again, like I said, every Thursday we're going right. to post about Do a particular fundraiser. dog. Yeah. Right. And I know it's it can be hard to kind of take a step back, especially when so many of our partners and, and just general animal welfare advocates, it's it's like a race to keep your head above water. Absolutely. And, and so it's sort of like, all right, well, we just took in another dog. We got to fundraise for them. We got to do a quick Facebook post because it's an easy way to to put it out there real quick. And the money sometimes just comes in. But when it when it doesn't come in, when that's not working or maybe when that's you've tapped out your Facebook audience, what are some other quick and easy ways that people can do set up fundraisers. I know we've we have used the platforms that do that allow other people to set up fundraisers for mm-hmm. you. Um but I I know people are strapped for time. So, you know, in in the absence of the ability to plan for a, a gala, what are right. some some easier quick hits that people can make to to just bring in funds on like a lower level basis? Yeah, oftentimes you can this is where volunteers can be really helpful. Right. Is that if you have a group as big or as small as you want to make of people that are willing to set up fundraisers, you know, host an event, um, you know, at a local Starbucks for some of their friends or their neighborhood to help educate and say, you know, we can only, this is only possible through donations. Mm -hmm. Um, There are other really interesting ways to do that as well. Um, You know, oftentimes through stewardship, Okay. It's not necessarily going out and trying to do the newest, fastest thing, but going back into your database, whether it's an Excel spreadsheet or if you have some some other fancy software, but going back through and letting people know what it is that you do, okay. reminding them that their dollars are making a difference because your best donor is someone who's already given, okay. right? That's the easiest gift to renew because they already know and appreciate your mission, what you've accomplished already. So taking some time to go back through there, and it might be just as simple as when you're on the street or in the middle of one of your activities, taking a quick informal video and being able just to text it out or email it out and say, you know, we were out in the field and this was what I saw. I just wanted to share with you what your dollars are doing. Yeah. You know, this dog or this cat, you know, is now going to be in a safe and dry place and, you know, is on its way to getting adopted. Even those little stewardship um, efforts, it doesn't have to be professional, you know, professional level quality. Yeah. Continuing to talk to your donor base, because if they feel appreciated, they will be your best word of mouth to other donors. Like I, you know, I give to this group. Yeah. You know, they're doing amazing work. Yeah. I really, you know, I think you should look at what they're doing. And so that word of mouth will help bring people in. And I like the idea of of bringing stewardship into it, because I think sometimes there's just so much effort to get new donors and to grow a donor base. But that can sometimes be at the expense of thanking the people who are already there and who are already giving, whether they give five dollars a month or five hundred thousand dollars a year. Um I think that's that is a an important piece that can sometimes fall by the wayside purely because people are strapped for time and they're busy and that gets lost. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like you're saying that should be moved, bumped up the list on on ways to keep dollars flowing is those that relationship maintenance. Absolutely. Because you don't want to start every single fiscal year with, OK, we're at zero. Yeah. We have no idea how the rest of this is going to come in. Yeah. So by renewing those donors 
you're building that base that allows you to then add on to with new donors. Okay. And the conversion rate of new donors into becoming those recurring donors is fairly low. I mean, across every sector all the time, um, you know, it's sometimes depressingly low for those yeah. of us that are doing the <laughs> fundraising. Yeah. But that builds the base so that the more you get more new donors, it inches that up more and more and more. So your income becomes more predictable okay. to be able to say, um, you know, be able to say, thank you so much. Would you consider continuing your support this year? Yeah. And so for people, you you briefly mentioned it, but for people who don't necessarily have access to the fancy donor software, what are some efficient ways that you have found to, to tr I mean, thinking of an Excel spreadsheet to track all of your donor income kind of gives me twitches, but like for, for, or for nonprofits who are just getting started, mm -hmm. what are, what are the things that you are needing to gather from your donors so that you can maintain that relationship? What kind of information should you be keeping so that you can continue to have touch points with them along the way? Absolutely. Mailing addresses, those are great for holiday cards, yeah. anything that you can do, um, you know, in the mail to them. Also, email and cell phone numbers. Okay. People are more and more responsive to text messages yep. or texting pictures to them and things like that and text appeals. Yeah. So that's the basic of that. And definitely do keep track of the donations that they've made year after year. Uh, again, on the stewardship side of things, that allows you to see, number one, who is a new donor. Mm -hmm. And you can send a, a quick text to them or something saying, I see this is your first gift to this organization. We are so glad to have you as part of our family. Yeah. And then you can also look at anniversaries, people that have been giving for five years straight. And, that. you know, here's a little, you know, online, the free online cards, five-year yeah. anniversary, happy anniversary, and us. your funds have enabled us to do X, Y, and Z. Exactly. Because people like to know where their dollars are going. And there are a lot of volunteers out there that don't want to ask for money or do some other things, but they have the time yeah. to pull together, okay, this is the group that we need to send cards to. Let's have a envelope signing party oh, and yeah. spend an hour or two on a Saturday or something like that, just filling out the cards and getting those in. That's a way to take some of the heavy lift yeah. off if you're a one-person fundraiser or you were a one-person office yeah. doing all of it. You know, utilize volunteers to help you with some of those um, administrative but stewardship things that can make such a difference. And and can help them feel like they're doing their part when they may not necessarily be able to contribute in other ways. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. Um, we have, we, you and I have talked a lot about finding ways to hone messaging, to focus mission, because sometimes it can be hard to explain what it is that a group does. Like, what, what, what do you do? We know if, if anyone has ever sat at a table at an event and someone walks up and literally just says, oh, what do you do? Sometimes it can be really hard to answer that question, especially mm -hmm. for a group like us, who we do a lot. But even with a really focused group, you know, just saying something like, oh, well, we rescue dogs off the street. That doesn't encapsulate everything. Right. So no. talk, talk a little bit about developing that messaging and why that's important to not just individual donors, but grant foundations and, and people mm -hmm. who could really get you off the ground with more gifts. Exactly. There are a number of groups 
that are out there fundraising, yeah. right? And there is no end to worthy causes that are going to, you know, individuals and foundations and corporations for money. And everybody has a good story. Right. So how do you make yourself stand out from that? And the easy, and I, I feel for everybody on this because it's the first thing you think of, especially if you're in the business, what do you do? Yeah. Okay, we rescue X, Y, Z, we do this. Which sounds terribly similar to what the next person is saying yeah. and the next person is saying. Yeah. So what has been more effective is to talk about what your impact is. Is that when someone says, what does your group do? Rather than say, well, we go out and we you know, rescue cats and we mm -hmm. do this, but say something along the lines that we focus on Harris County and we make it safer for cats in Harris yeah. County. It, you've just taken it out of kind of the programmatic piece because mm -hmm. that's how you get there. But how you can stand out from other groups is to say, this is our impact. Okay. We serve this community. We, um, we reduce um, a, a pet overpopulation by 20%. Yeah. Or that's our goal. So you're talking about the impact and that will get people's attention really quickly more than, OK, we know you rescue dogs and cats. And then, you know, 10 minutes into the story, we find the nugget of what is really interesting to and us. what appeals to, to the, yeah. the person to pull out a wallet. Um, for people who are seeking grants, because individual donors are important, but sometimes, you know, you need that extra boost of... Mm -hmm. 10, 20, whatever thousand dollars. What are those organizations looking for? Other than, of course, your financials and, and your data, your impact. What are sure. they looking at? What what can you do to make yourself stand out to a granting organization, either like Houston Pet Set or on some of the larger scales? First of all, do your research. Yeah. Uh, make sure, <laughs> make sure that what you're asking for falls in line with what they fund. Okay. Um, I can't tell you how many organizations will apply to a foundation because they have money. Yeah. You know, and foundations are very specific about the impact that they want to have on the world. Hmm. So you can always look at their 990s, um, which you can find on Candid, um, a website that lists all of the foundations. And you can look at their financial information. And at the bottom of their 990, it shows who and what they funded. Ah. So you can get an, a sense of, are we even in alignment with what they've been funding before? Right. Um, do your research, obviously. Make sure that it, your, uh, what you're asking for falls under what they fund. Yeah. Um, and then really, again, go back and pull forward your impact. And understanding their research, see how you can tie your impact with the impact they want to have. Yeah. And that is what will catch the attention is when they are hearing some of their language in what you're saying. Mm. That will that will pick you up. Those mirror neurons start yes. firing. Mm -hmm. um, so when if if I am, you know, I have Lisa Tynan's cat rescue or whatever it is, and I need to be able to quickly get the elevator pitch developed. You know, if, if you've never heard the term elevator pitch, it's just such a great it's such a great concept. If you are riding up an elevator with somebody and you're wearing your logo and someone says, oh, tell me about what you do. Mm -hmm. You have 30 seconds max max going up that elevator to impart that wisdom on that person. So 
what are what are some things people should be looping in in their elevator pitch? And and we're we are working on our own elevator pitch at Houston Pet Set. You know, what is how mm-hmm. important is that for somebody to be able to quick and dirty spew it out and also probably spread it to all of their volunteers. So everyone's saying the same thing. Right. Right. (laughs) And that's a big piece of the message. I mean, when you have volunteers and staff and everybody has a different message about what the organization is about, that can that can get very confusing. Yeah. Um, But in an elevator pitch, I think the most important thing there is it's something that you can speak about with passion. Ah, yes. Because anybody can deliver here are the five lines that I've memorized, <laughs> and this is our elevator speech. Pull and out my so, script. <laughs> exactly. So I'm going to read these yeah. off, and aren't you interested now? Yeah. Um, and that's that's not how it goes. Yeah. But an elevator pitch, it doesn't have to be the exact same thing that you would say, that I would say right. necessarily. But it's a way that we can say the same thing and be passionate about it. So you want to be short, to the point, talk about the impact that your organization is having, and I would even tack on how the community or people can help in that cause. Okay. And we, it, for example, and we rely on volunteers to do X, Y, Z. Because they may say, oh, I've been looking for something yeah. to do. I didn't know I could support an animal organization by licking envelopes or whatever, right. whatever yeah. it is. So it invites some engagement there. Or they may even say, oh, I have a friend that'd be really interested in yeah. this. And I will say just from experience, uh, as awkward and and silly as it can seem, practicing an elevator pitch is like the easiest way to ensure success and staring at yourself in the mirror and saying it over and over again uh, makes it so that it flows off the tongue so you don't get stopped up when someone's like, oh, tell me about your organization. And you've worked there for 20 years, but you're like, "Uh, we, well, my, if you, practicing it can get that awkwardness out of the way and you can sound more confident in delivering your passionate message. Well, and saying it out loud, I'm glad you brought that up. And saying it out loud makes such a difference because it might sound great up here (laughs) in your head, but actually getting it out of your mouth, it sounds awkward or that's not the word I would choose to do that. And to your point, if you, especially if you've been with an organization for a long, long time, you have just this gigantic, gigantic amount of information you could talk about. Yeah. So when someone asks you something, you're trying to funnel all of that in, in the moment. Yeah. And our brains don't work well doing it that way. So having that elevator pitch yeah. is fantastic, practicing it. And I would also say being willing to do it and have it be a little ungraceful the first few times yeah. until you get the hang of it. Yeah. That's the important part. It might come out a little clunky the first time. Keep doing it. Yeah. And you, you never know who you're going to meet in an elevator and it could be your next, you know, million dollar donor. You just don't know. Um, so, so last, I kind of want to wrap it up by talking about, you know, where, where somebody should, I don't want to say focus all their efforts. Cause obviously you have to do all of these different things. You have to do stewardship. You have to court new donors that you can't, you can't just focus on one or the other or something gets dropped. But so many of our partners and our rescue groups are made up of two, three staff people and the rest volunteers. So if they are limited in resources, mm-hmm. where where would you think, all right, this is the best way you can get bang for your buck is by focusing on what? I mean, is that social media fundraisers? Is that trying to find those large dollar donors? Where should they be looking first? 
I would say the first place is number one, get your story out on social media. Okay. Um, you know, you never know what Bill Gates is looking at, right. but you know, he could be looking at social media or it could get picked up somewhere. I think that's a great way to get the story out there, period. So that when you do meet somebody in the elevator and they love your pitch, you can send them to your social media account mm -hmm. and they can start to get some information. But if that's not there or a website that mm -hmm. doesn't have some information, it's hard to point somebody back to it yeah. and they're like, well, is this thing even real? Because are I, you a 501c3? Yeah, yeah. In our day and age, I mean, that's what substantiates you, right? Yeah. That you have a decent website or you have a social media account. Yeah. So having that there. But um, beyond that, I mean, getting in touch with your good friends, keeping close contact with your good donors. And sometimes that looks like a cup of coffee at Starbucks, yeah. you know, every now and then. The biggest piece of it, um, because you're getting pulled in so many different directions, is discipline mm. of if you're going to have a social media campaign or you are going to do some stewardship, carve it out in your schedule Yeah. Um, so that it's not an afterthought and you can plan for it. That is, that's probably the biggest piece of advice I have is that yeah. you're getting pulled in 8 million different directions. Plan it and it, you've got a much better chance of actually getting to it. Yeah. Rather than saying, oh, we know we need to talk with these donors. Yeah. We'll get to it. Oh, we have this crisis, you know, which legit needs to be handled. Yeah. But then that keeps getting pushed off. And then you're in a panic at the end of the year saying we need to raise money. So finding ways to build that into the schedule and have some volunteers take over that for you yeah. is key. Is key. All right. So the last question um, depending on the size of an organization, the, the number of resources, Groups may or may not be able to put on, you know, that big fundraiser. Mm -hmm. For us, it's our soiree. Other people have their galas or they have their fashion shows. If a group does not have that capacity, I mean, is that something people should be making an effort to build into their budget? Or is that just kind of, does that solely depend on the size of an organization? How important are those big kind of marquee events to fundraising? And if someone doesn't have the capacity, like, are they missing out on something? I think you have to be really strategic about how you use fundraising events okay. um, because they're a lot of work. Yes, they are. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of legwork to do yeah. something really, really well. So I would say that if it's something where you really are looking to do a lot of friend raising, mm -hmm. because for many special events, it's more about having an event where people invite their friends in and you right. can educate people. It's more friend raising than fundraising. Um, that, that can work very well, but you don't need to go to, you know, a super fancy hotel in order to do that. It could be, you know, a walk that you hold in a neighborhood mm. and you invite people in, um, being creative with it and, you know, letting some volunteers say, oh, we're willing to run a, you know, a dog walk or, yeah. you know, a cat run or something like that for you. So it can they can be very useful, um, but I would caution anyone for doing one just because you know animal welfare group X Y Z over there is doing right. one too, uh, because they, they they are a lot of work and yeah. they do draw a lot of energy um, from an organization. That being said, sometimes they can really vault an organization to the next level yeah. because their crowd and their potential donors do want to have that experience. So, I, I would say. It's kind of a fine the, line. You have to decide what's best for your group. 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And in the absence of being able to do that, of course, there are always businesses who are happy to do 10% of their sales on this weekend donated back to you. So, you know, not necessarily just looking for individual donors, but corporate donors and corporate supporters as well can be hugely helpful. Finding those partners, especially um, corporate donors are de- are absolutely looking for that quid pro quo oh, yes. of the, you know, if we sponsor you, if we give you $5,000, what is our visibility in your event? Right. So slap that logo will, on a website. <laughs> I was going to say, feel free to pay for it because yeah. to you, I mean, slapping your logo on something is is very low cost. Right. But it gives them a lot of exposure. That being said, when you go to a corporation, be prepared to say, and this is our reach. This yeah. is what we put on social media and we have this many followers. Right. So they have a sense of the exposure that they're getting. And that's a good a good last little tidbit of advice is is track your metrics know mm-hmm. what your reach is on social media know how many website visitors you know every if you have a website you can get google analytics combing through there you can see how many people are stopping by because people want to know foundations corporate groups want to know is their funding having an impact but they also want to know is their uh quid pro quo is their logo is it getting reached out to the communities that they want to be reaching as well. Right. So definitely that, that, and that also I, what I want to finish on is um, because I have looked at a lot of animal welfare websites um, and we have talked even about our own donor engagement page, make sure listeners and watchers and readers and friends that your website is professional and maintained because anyone who you ask for money is going to look at it. They're this, like you said, this is yep. this day and age. That's where they're looking. And there are cheap ways to have a great looking website. And if no other page looks fantastic, your donation page should look good. Because if somebody wants to give you money and it looks like you are not a legitimate organization, they are going to put that credit card right back in their wallet. And I, another tip onto that <laughs> is on your donation page, clean. Don't put any barriers between people that get there. And they've read the front page and, yes, I want to make a donation now. Multiple steps to actually get to make the donation is not where you want to go or tons and tons of justification of why you should be giving. If they're already on that donation page, they're already halfway there. Just let it just (laughs) let them get to that donation. And then send a thank you. Always send a thank you. Always, always. Yes. Um, I ended up talking to you a lot longer than I had planned, which is a good thing because I, I think there's so much that animal welfare folks can learn to bring that money in because it's out there. People mm-hmm. always joke when I talk about working an animal welfare nonprofit, they're like, oh, well, fundraising for pets is easy. People love puppies. It's not as easy as it sounds. And yeah. it just still requires legwork and it requires focus. And like you said, and some discipline and carving out the time to do it. So I hope that, uh, our viewers and listeners have have taken as much of this out of it as I have. And I think that we are so lucky to have you on Houston Petset side because, dang, that's a wealth of knowledge. So thank you so much, Mindy. Uh, this has been Conversations for the Animals with Houston Petset, and we'll see you next time. 